first of all, hormones are often a root of a lot of the stuff and I think they get dismissed. So whether we're talking mental health or gut health or autoimmune disease or cancer or so many of these things, so many of these diagnoses, so to speak, you know, oftentimes hormones are at the bottom of it. And what actually happens is most people get dismissed when they start bringing up a conversation around hormones, right? They're told things like, you don't need to check your hormones or, you know, they make the hormone checking very difficult or women in perimenopause and menopause are told you're too old or this is in your head, you know, where, you know, simply not true. Doctor said you got PCOS, now go on girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian to help my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong babe yeah i need you for an intro mm -hmm. if you could just step away from your computer okay. take a breather and let the sisters know what is today's podcast about Today's podcast is about Dr. Taz Bhatia. She is a board-certified integrative medicine physician and wellness expert. Faced with personal health challenges as a medical resident in her 20s and a healthcare system that didn't make her feel any better, Dr. Taz turned to adding Eastern medical wisdom to her practice. She is the best-selling author of What Doctors Eat, The 21-Day Belly Fix, and Superwoman RX, and is releasing a new book this month called The Hormone Shift. Oh, shoot. I don't think I was recording. Sirak? <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Taz, for joining us. We're so excited to have this podcast with you. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you just released your new book, The Hormone Shift. I know I know it just came out on October 3rd. How has the release been for you? It's been incredible. We've gotten so much great publicity around it. We've got women everywhere, all ages, wanting the information, talking about it, you know, and I couldn't be happier because, you know, I've done this. We've talked about this before. I've been here seeing patients for over 15 years and really digging into hormone chemistry. And I'm so glad that everybody out there finally has an opportunity to really look at this information, have it at their disposal and use it as an advocate for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I mean, I can't wait to read it myself, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about what got you into writing this book in particular, because I know you've written other books as well. Well, I think it has just been a need. Uh, I sit with so many different types of patients, so many different conditions, right? And when we're unwinding the why behind a lot of it, you know, first of all, hormones are often a root of a lot of the stuff. And I think they get dismissed. So whether we're talking mental health or gut health or autoimmune disease or cancer or so many of these things, so many of these diagnoses, so to speak, you know, oftentimes hormones are at the bottom of it. And what actually happens is most people get dismissed dismissed when they start bringing up a conversation around hormones, right? They're told things like, you don't need to check your hormones or, you know, they're, you know, they make the hormone checking very difficult or women in perimenopause and menopause are told you're too old or this is in your head, you know, where, you know, simply not true. So I think that I could write books on so many different topics, but it just felt like I wanted to put something out there for all women, right? To have, and now I have a teenager, I have a 15 year old daughter, almost 16 
And I want her to have this information right before she goes out into the world. And I don't want her to bat around like I did trying to figure out, you know, what was going on with my health. That's an amazing connection she has, because I'm mean, at that age, I know that so many people are going through different hormonal changes. But to have a mother like you, who's a doctor and who's like an expert in that field, I'm sure it's like such a advantage over maybe her friends. Yeah. As long as she'll listen. There is that teenage piece of not wanting to listen. But hey, at least it's getting absorbed somewhere, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. And then going back to your book, The Hormone Shift, in the book, you talk about the, the five different hormone shifts. We kind of want to uh, talk more about that for the listeners before they go ahead and read the book. But what are the five hormone shifts? We could go one step at a time, if you like, and kind of dive into each yeah. one. Yeah, I would love to. And, you know, for a lot of us, you know, who have had hormone struggles, like I know, you know, you've had a story with PCOS. What really got me down the road of integrative and holistic medicine was PCOS that went undiagnosed along with a lot of thyroid issues. But Actually, my issues, like many of my patients, really dialed back, you could look, it really began with the first hormone shift, which is puberty, right? So age 13 or so, 12 maybe for some. You know, what we're seeing there is a lot of hormone chaos, but this is where the first hormone imbalances start to show themselves. So this is for those who may get PCOS down the road or are more prone to PCOS. They start to show even this early, the issues with high androgens, high testosterone, blood sugar and insulin instability. And it gets, again, same thing. There's no conversation around it, right? There's no like, okay, you've got severe acne, your periods are irregular. The answer is typically birth control and Accutane or, you know, some sort of medication, which band-aids it, you know, for a period of time, but is not really getting to the root of what's going on. And so that's the first hormone shift. So that hormone chaos, I think we need to see that as a challenge and actually say, hey, you know, if, if you're a teenager or if you're the mother of a teenager, let's get to the bottom of this. What can help your hormones stay more healthy and balanced, you know, while you're in the space of life? And that's where we need to start teaching them early about things like gut health, liver health, sleep, you know, the importance of your diet and all this other stuff that we talk about. And then moving on from there, for those of us that were in our early 20s, I call those the hustlers because they're just burning the candle at both ends, right? They're out all the time. They're busting it at work or school. So they're entering the world of high cortisol. This is where they start to see some of the earliest like actual symptoms, right? They might start to experience high anxiety, more fatigue, trouble sleeping, you know, more irregularity with their periods or painful periods or they start to get the acne and the hair loss. So these women like have a tendency to ignore it and say that, you know, hey, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. I don't really want to get to the bottom of it. But what happens then is as they enter the third shift, which is sort of the stability shift, right? We're looking for putting some roots down, whether it's in terms of a career or a family or things like that. They find themselves dealing with health challenges that they didn't expect. Maybe they're having trouble now getting pregnant. Maybe they are, you know, having issues with their thyroid, issues with hair. This is sometimes where the first expressions of an autoimmune disease will show up. And so now you've taken sort of that high cortisol phase of your early 20s and you've married it with kind of like this now kind of low progesterone because what happens when cortisol is too high for too long, it essentially steals 
from the other organs, right? It steals from thyroid, it steals from progesterone. So the other hormones are starting to feel that brunt. Well, now these women have children or don't have children. They're just busy. And they now enter perimenopause almost with like blinders on. They don't know their numbers. They don't know the formula for taking care of themselves. And now they're entering true hormone decline, right? So the fourth shift is perimenopause. That can be like 38 to 39, all the way to 50 something. And that's where you're seeing progesterone go down, estrogen go down. This is where thyroid gets wonky. Blood sugar starts to become really imbalanced. And literally what these women tell me is like, I don't feel like myself. I feel like there's a stranger in the mirror, right? So they're gaining weight, you know, they're more tired, they're getting foggy. These are brilliant women that were, you know, can run companies and make speeches, but all of a sudden now they're forgetting words and forgetting names. And then the last shift is menopause. And with menopause, there's a complete decline in hormones. And for a lot of women, they just think their time's up. They think they're expired, right? Um, they can't sleep. They're getting hot flashes. They're getting night sweats. They can't focus. You know, their libido's gone. Their relationships are suffering. So, you know, kind of all the angst with, with each of these shifts, by the way, is something that I really believe can be avoided if we adopted sort of the Eastern medicine principles of preparation, prevention, understanding how the body is so interconnected, how our diet, our gut health, our liver health, our emotions, all of it, how we build our lives is influencing what our hormones are going to express. Yeah, absolutely. That was very well explained. And so when it comes to the five hormone shifts, they're, they're based on, I guess, age and and phase in someone's life, correct? So correct. Uh, it seems like for the th the first three, especially really can really affect PCOS, because those are the times where PCOS, like, for example, in shift one, where young age, they start to develop maybe PCOS or the PCOS symptoms, irregular periods, they're yeah. birth control, it's like you're 16 years old, you have no idea. Yeah. And then the second, absolutely. Yeah, and then the second shift, it can even get a little bit worse if they're just like you were saying, they're, they're this a hustler right. phase. So they're going to school, trying to um, figure out their work schedule, trying to build a professional life. So that's the time where like nobody, including like you know males and and females, no one's really focusing on their like you know their hormone levels or labs or things like that. We're we're all just right. focusing on trying to make it in life. So very interesting. And then the third one was the, like the when stability shift when they're trying to get pregnant. Yeah. So right. Yeah. So those first three I'm familiar with because I'm 32 or one or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, the first three I'm familiar with. And of course, having PCOS myself, all three of those phases or well, the first two, which is being 16 irregular periods and getting birth control. And then in my 20s over like burning the both candles yep. at both ends and now that I've like balanced my own hormones in my thirties, I think I'll, it won't be as bad when I, hopefully when I try to get pregnant, I'm hoping. Uh, but as for the fourth and the fifth phases of like perimenopause and menopause, I'm just mm -hmm. curious, are those inevitable? Like no matter mm. what you did to like balance your hormones when you were younger, like inevitably you will have to go through perimenopause and menopause and your hormones shift and it feels like you're expiring because those hormones that kept you young and vital and ovulating are gone. And so your body changes and stuff. And can you even do something about that? I'm so curious. Do you know what the most researched supplement for PCOS is? Yes. 
inositol. But do you know that not all inositols are the same? Hush your mouth. The latest research on PCOS women uses inositol with a ratio of 40 to 1 myo and d chiro inositol with a daily dosage of 4,000 milligrams. Well, I declare. But here's the problem. A lot of inositols out there do not use the 40 to 1 ratio and many do not have a daily dosage of 4,000 milligrams. So that one month supply of inositol you bought may last half the time if you take the clinical dosage. Heavens to Betsy! Well, hold your horses, cowboy. <laughs> That's why I love Ovacetol. It comes in a ratio of 40 to 1 myo and d chiro inositol, and it provides a daily dosage of 4,000 milligrams. It also comes in a three-month supply. And best of all, it's the only NSF-certified 40-to-1 inositol, so you know that it's been third-party tested for purity and accuracy. Well, butter my backside and call me a biscuit. Head over to ovafit.org to order your Ovacetol today with our special 15% off promo. You can also find the link in the show description. Well, I declare. Okay, that's enough. Thank God. I'm out of freezes. So, you know, the idea of a woman's journey, right, from her younger years into perimenopause and menopause, if we apply the Eastern principles to that, they believe it's on like a spectrum. You can drive the bus towards that quote unquote destination very quickly, meaning you'll get to menopause very fast. If you are not nurturing yourself and taking care of yourself in a proper way. So they believed, for example, that a very stressful lifestyle, a traumatic lifestyle, uh, a poor nutrient quality lifestyle would get you there faster. Now, all women will go through perimenopause and menopause. But one of the things I want to do with the book is to help women understand that this is not a bad thing, because with each hormone shift, there is an evolution for each of us as women. You know, we change, our roles change, our knowledge and our wisdom changes, our emotional maturity changes, and we sort of give birth to ourselves in these latter shifts. We've been super busy taking care of everybody else or trying to accomplish things prior, but this is finally the time where women are kind of stepping into their own and they have their voice and they have their power. So this is not a bad thing. So you will shift. That I can guarantee everybody. It is a part of nature. We are going to shift. But does that shift need to be dramatic and painful and accelerated? Or can it be gentle and just a very natural evolution of who we are? And we still feel amazing. And that's why I think this information needs to get out there because many women assume, in fact, I didn't even want them to put, you know, midlife and menopause on the book because many women, especially younger women, right, will look at that. And I'm 20 years older than you. I'm 51, right? And I'm still not in full menopause. But even for me, knowing it's probably right around the corner, right? I see the word menopause and there's a little bit of like, wait, is that me? You know? So there's a lot of negative sort of psychology around it. I think we need to get rid of it and rebrand it and say, look, this is about evolving, going from one higher space to the next, so that by your fifth shift, you're actually fully in your power, you're contributing to community, you are actually the leader, the elder, the mentor, and you're helping younger women, you know? And I think it's a really beautiful thing, and that's how older societies were set up, right? If you think about it, there was the elder matriarchal figure who was very much the pillar of support for everyone. And the beauty of modern technology today versus back then 
is that we can take that philosophy and we can merge it with all the advances of what helps keep women feeling good, looking good in their prime, all of those things. So for some women, that's diet, you know, nutrition, exercise, sleep, meditation, prayer, right? For other women, they may actually need a little bit of hormone support and that is now available, right? So I actually needed progesterone on my journey in my late twenties. I haven't had to use it until the last year or so. So using a little bit of hormone therapy, you know, has made a world of difference for women. And many women have been scared, you know, incorrectly of hormones simply because of one study that came out in the eighties. Now, numerous studies have come out since talking about the benefits of hormone replacement therapy and how really all women need to be on it for at least 10 years post-menopause to really have everything from the cognitive health, the bone health, you know, the skin, the hair, the weight, all these different markers of health that keep us vital and keep uh, really keep us healthy. I totally agree. My mom also does hormone replacement therapy. Um, of course, she's postmenopausal. She's like 70, almost 70. And it's been so life-changing for her. Totally. Uh, she has not aged in the same way that her grandma or her mom has. And they lived very hard lives and they aged like tremendously and, you know, it, it, it's like the, there's a huge difference between how women age now and how those generations were aging. So definitely you can just see in her like skin, you know, she barely has wrinkles. Like she just looks great. She has, ener she she has energy. energy yeah. And um, yeah, hormone replacement therapy was like really life changing for her after during menopause, perimenopause, after menopause, like she, she took it. So I'm all for it at that point. I know that birth control is also considered hormone replacement therapy, but like that's a whole different avenue and it's being given to 16 year olds who are perfectly capable biologically to produce hormones if given the right circumstances of diet and lifestyle. Whereas once you hit menopause, it is what it is. Like sometimes you have to have that support. Mm -hmm. um, so I know you- yeah, I know you combine Eastern and Western medicine. So, I mean, I guess that's one of the ways in which you can marry them together. Yeah. I was going to ask, so like, what are the core principles of, of Eastern medicine when it, when compared to Western medicine? And also, like, I feel like in the past, maybe like a, a decade or so ago, like I've, I've, I felt like Western medicine almost made Eastern medicine seem like it was controversial because, totally. you know, yeah, and like, but I feel like in the last few years, especially in the last five to ten years, Eastern medicine has started to become more and more popular, and now it's like interwoven with Western medicine to make each even more beneficial. Oh my gosh! So you're totally speaking my language. I think when I started, you know, I've had the practice for 15 years ago where we do that, and when I first started, I was kind of a quack, right? And today, like, I'm getting asked on national media, like the Today Show and others, like, "Well, tell us about the advantages of blending Eastern and Western medicine together." So we've come a really long way, right, in the last 15 years, and I do think this is what people want, and even my patients, like, they come in and they're just like we're tired we're tired of you know being told that this way is right and that way is wrong on both sides right they really want the proper blend and i think you have such an amazing toolbox when you blend things together so from eastern medicine and when we say eastern medicine we're talking about ayurveda chinese medicine you know native american medicine like some of these older philosophies we're saying eastern but we're essentially saying older medical philosophies right one of the things because they didn't have data and technology and all that stuff they developed a diagnostic system that was fairly accurate, but rooted in 
history taking, looking at you in observation, a physical exam, and really trying to understand the person in front of them. And they also firmly believed that every person was unique. They didn't believe in this law of averages or standard deviations or any of this business that we talk about with research, right? In Western medicine, it was like every person's unique. They each have a story. We need to understand them. They also bring into the equation way before research even understood it, the interconnectedness of gut health to brain health, hormone health, you know, every single thing and how the gut was ground zero of your health. So that was very much from those systems of medicine. And they also talked a lot about the liver and what the liver does and how the liver plays a role in many different processes in the body. But the other thing they did is stress the importance of the other bodies, right? You have the physical body, you know, the tangible one that we as doctors are trained to look at and treat and diagnose. But then they really also were gifted in being like, where's this person's emotional spectrum or emotional body, their mental body? You know, what's their life like? Who are they around? You know, what's their community support? Like, what is their role in life? And these were things that were all very relevant to a medical conversation, you know? And by ignoring those things, they knew they were doing their patients a disservice. So, you know, they bring this rich literature in of looking at all these other factors. While Western medicine, very data-driven, very lab-driven, right? Very physiology-driven, you know, looking at pathways and things like that. But very much of the mindset of one size kind of fits all, one solution for every problem. Evidence-based is the word I keep hearing thrown out over and over again, backed by science, which are all very relative terms because evidence-based for who and who did you study and and what was the population like and science, you know, funded, right, science funded by who, you know. So these are the terms thrown around in Western medicine, but the ability to do lab work, the ability to do imaging, right? The ability to have really novel treatments and things like hormone replacement therapy is a gift of Western medicine, right? So it's understanding what the pros were for each of those systems, but also understanding where, you know, they fell short and each of them do fall short in different ways. So when you merge them together, you get all the information about the patient, the personalization, the emotional vibration, all of these other really important things about the patient. And then when you turn around and test stuff, then you get data, you know, now, the system is currently set up to not test, not spend time with the patient, not image, right? And not have these proactive conversations, right? Or say things like, well, we can't check your hormones. They vary all the time. We can't do this. There's a lot of no, you know? And so I'm wanting patients to read the book, pick it up. There's like a whole chapter in it about what to check. There's a whole chapter in it about what symptoms are actually hormone-based symptoms. And then a whole plan to help you reset so that you can have an intelligent conversation, hopefully with your provider or you yourself can advocate for getting some of these things done and literally track and trend them so you know what your normal is. That's Absolutely. excellent. It's so true. It's sometimes you just can't even get all of the labs done and the research and the personalization when you go to the doctor yeah. and it's just like birth control and you or don't even know yeah. you have insulin resistance. Right. What do you mean if you told me I had insulin resistance? Yeah. Or it's not covered by insurance. So now it's it's more expensive so to get expensive. resources. Right. Yeah, if, if only insurance saw, like insurance companies saw Eastern medicine just as beneficial as Western, because we shouldn't be dividing these two things. It should just be called medicine and it should be using right. all both aspects of it to make it even more efficient for the uh, yeah. for the people who need it. 
Well, here's the thing with the book. Everything in the book is very doable and not super expensive. The plan is not super expensive. The recommendations are not super expensive. And even the lab work, you know, you can, I found this out recently, like literally through LabCorp requests, you could walk up there and order a lot of this yourself, you know? So a lot of it is now very doable and very accessible. And we have a lot more autonomy than we did 15 years ago. So uh, I think that's exciting. So I think now, you know, while we're working on, the medical system and the clinic system and all of that stuff, you know, you can, you know, as a woman, take this book and fill out a lab order and go get your stuff checked and use the ranges in here to help you understand where you might fall. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And if people want to get your book, is it on Amazon or local book? It is. It is everywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's all over the place. So definitely check it out. It's on my website as well. If you come to drtaz.com. So I would love for everyone. I want everyone to have this, every woman have it, pass it on to another, because all of us need the story. There's actually too a PCOS version of, uh, perimenopause and menopause, whereas women lose their hormones, they again have the very same pattern that they had in their teenage and early 20 years. So I think it's really important for everybody to get educated so that they can get preventive and proactive. Absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. Earlier, I was looking at your website and I'm curious because you studied Eastern medicine, what your take on going gluten and dairy free is as well, because I know that that can help with reducing inflammation and supporting that hormone health journey. Definitely. And I think, you know, again, it has to be personalized to a certain extent because I don't think every single person has to be 100% gluten-free and 100% dairy-free. I, for one, a lot of my story was around gluten. I need to be gluten-free. I can cheat with dairy, but dairy is inflammatory, especially non-fermented dairy. I think I had this question on Instagram today too. And it was very much about why would I not automatically tell everyone to go 100% dairy-free. Things like milk and cheese, things that have a lot of casein in it that are very hard to break down, those become inflammatory for multiple reasons. First of all, sourcing, you know, what's in it, is it organic, not organic production, all this other stuff. However, some of the fermented forms, whether you're looking at a high quality yogurt or kefir or some, or even paneer, which is used a lot in the Indian tradition, those are really, really rich in probiotics and good bacteria. So for some people in small amounts, those are not necessarily bad, you know? So I think that you have to understand if you have these intolerances and if you have a dairy intolerance, go hundred percent dairy free. I have to stay gluten-free. It's like a non-negotiable for me to stay balanced. And yes, both of those can cause inflammation, partly because of sourcing and the way they're manufactured, partly because of the excess that we have today in our diets, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. I just wanted to hear (laughs) Well, there you go. That is great. That is great. So we'll, we'll link for anyone who's interested in, the, uh, in getting the book. We highly recommend it. It's going to be in the link in the description. So you can just click on the link and order directly. And we'll also put your website, Dr. Taz. And I know you Thank also you. have a great Instagram following as well. Could you mention your Instagram account? Oh, definitely. Come follow. I'm having fun on Instagram, I have to say. So come follow me on Instagram. It's Dr. Taz MD, D-R-T-A-Z-M-D. I answer questions on there. I do lots of different videos. So yeah, definitely come follow me. Nice. Nice. We love that. We love that. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure talking to you and talking about your book. Yes. Thank you. Always great to connect with you guys. And thank you for all the work you guys are doing. I think you're making such a big difference to to so many young women. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. We appreciate it. And likewise, you too. You're making such a big difference for so many people. Thank you. Take care, guys. You too. You too. Bye. 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 
Hey sisters, just wanted to let you know that all of our podcast episodes have corresponding blog posts that dive deeper into each topic. So head over to PCOSweightloss.org slash blog. Is it slash or is it backslash blog? I don't know. I've always heard one or the other. It's forward slash. Or slash? Just in case, you can also go to PCOSweightloss.org.